We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by the Genesis Company coming at you Tuesday afternoon. It's March 14th. We got Wolves beat writer Jason Frederick here for a Tuesday rather than his typical Wednesday morning recap show, I guess. I guess we'll be recapping the Atlanta game here, so I figured we'd we'd take as much run time before the, the Celtics game on Wednesday night. Just hunting for clicks over here, Jace. Like Kyle Anderson was hunting for his <laughs> for his dead rebound last night. Uh, let, let's start with Kyle uh, in that game. Triple double. Uh, the Wolves won the 36 minutes Anderson played uh, by 33 points. Lost the 12 minutes he sat by 12. It was Anderson's uh, second triple double of the season. He's shooting 44 percent from three this on the year. He, I think, this is a big stat too. He's sixth best in the league. And defensive estimated plus minus, uh, which is, I, I think, the best like catch-all defensive metric we have out there. And has the best net rating on this team amongst the 10 players who have logged more than 500 minutes uh, on the season. I think it's it's almost impossible to kind of summarize how impactful Anderson has been because he does it in his own sort of bizarre way. But that impact for to have on this team for less than the mid-level exception this summer goes down as one of the most impactful, crucial, I think, moves and developments of the season. Uh, Jace, what stood out most to you from uh, Anderson's performance last night? Well, there's a lot. Um, I think it just in general, like Kyle Anderson is somebody who will take advantage of what the other team gives you um, because he's just a smart player. And Atlanta was giving Minnesota a lot. Um, but and Anderson just... he sees the correct ways to manipulate. I mean, whether that's like, okay, we're all getting to the rim really easily now. I'm going to make a point to do that and make like the easy drop-off pass, easy buckets. Let's make sure we're moving the ball here still. Let's not settle for the easy 18-footer when we can get something even better. Like, I I think he's always just looking out for like making the smartest decision on the floor. Um, And then defensively, you know, like you tweeted out that that clip earlier of like him blocking Sadiq Bey's shot on mm-hmm. Bay driving in kind of then turning it into a post up um all in isolation against Kyle Anderson Kyle Rudy so just like right slides him. like a door <laughs> just yeah right and yeah. here's what I've settled on with Kyle Anderson is like you don't want him on like the other team's best wing um because yeah. whenever we've seen that wing quick guard whatever like Kyle's gonna get beat because 
you're if you're slow, you're slow, right? Like, and he's not like dysfunctionally slow, uh, but there are certain matchups that are just not good for him. But as long as there's not like some big physical discrepancy in terms of like speed, um, mm-hmm. he's a very good defender. So like, yeah, I don't really want him on like an, an elite guard, elite wing, but like somebody like Bay, who's just like an average wing, um, not like a great handle or anything, not super quick. Kyle Anderson will shut that guy down. He will shut down guys who are bigger than him. Like he's just a fundamentally really good defensive player. Um, and I think that's a huge advantage to have, particularly on a team where you don't need him to be like that shut down wing stopper. Yeah, no, I'm 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 with that 100 percent. And, you know, not to already get to the talking about cat coming back part of the podcast, but it is that is one of the most interesting parts, I think, of cat of coming back as it pertains to this season is what do you do uh, with with Kyle Anderson? And you I mean, whether it's starting or, or close, pr- probably more so closing games, I think we right. know cat will again, once he's off a of minutes restriction or whatever, be in that starting spot that Kyle's in. Uh, with you know Conley and McDaniel's and Gobert, but he's made a hell of a case to close games for this team, even when Cat's back in the mix. And I think you really only have kind of two options in in that scenario. Maybe maybe a third by benching one of the centers, but you kind of have to have Mike Conley on the floor or Kyle Anderson uh, on the floor in that in those situations. Does I don't know. I mean, maybe we're we're overplaying how big that is because Kyle, even if he doesn't close games, he'll still get his 25, 30 minutes a night as like the as the sixth man on this team. But I think going forward, you probably want to figure out if if Kyle Anderson can be on the floor in that closing lineup with your main with your main players. And the only way it seems you can really do that, the most likely way you could seem to do that is by taking Mike Conley off the floor in in the clutch altogether. Do you have any sort of like ideas or thoughts on how they might handle that? Well, I don't see how you take him off, particularly this season, just in that he's been their most effective player um, mm-hmm. at the ends of games, specifically. Like he's Period. their best decision yeah. maker. Chris Finch hasn't hidden from that. He's like, that's like a safe hands player. Like you mm-hmm. feel good when the ball's in his hands and he's making the decisions. And like, that's true. And he's a good defensive player. So like even situationally, there's never a reason to take him out. I'm with you that it could be Conley. Um, Look, I don't know if they would shy away from like when things are in full swing, taking Gobert off the court for the final two minutes of games. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if they would. Um, and then even well, like, even even just the Brooklyn game, and I know it was literally like one possession, last shot at the end of regulation yeah. where Nas Reed hits that three, but also and you need a three. Yeah, like, that, that that's true. End of, but the end of overtime, they put Nas out there to set the screen uh, rather than Gobert to be able to kind of play off of that. Again, that's like. That's not a close. Nas didn't close the game like the last five minutes of the game over Gobert. But you've seen a little bit more that hints at the idea that Finch would isn't like 100 percent committed to Rudy closing every single game. We've, we've seen that over the second half of the season a good amount, even with Cat out. Yeah, I agree with you. And then like situationally. Uh... About a possession to possession basis, if you ever did like an offense defense sub, you could always put Anderson in, um, literally for anybody on either end of the court. <laughs> like, I honestly think you could put him in for Jane McDaniels as an offense sub, sure. uh, you know, because McDaniels has struggled a little bit at his shot making in the last like minute of games, but just in general, like Jaden in those situations is just kind of a stand in the corner shooter, and Kyle is more yeah. of like if you want somebody in the action. Um, so like an offensive possession with 10 seconds left, maybe you put Kyle in unless you want McDaniel's corner shooting there. But Anderson's been just as good in those situations. Um, 
So like, and then obviously defensively, you know, he can go in for Conley. He can go in for a cat, literally anybody. Um, so I think you're right. Like with four minutes left and you're going to go through two minutes, uh, the next two minutes of games, you're not going to do offense, defense subs. Like who do you take off? Conley would make some sense, but like it's another steady hand to have in the game. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think it makes too much sense. I think to sit either Rudy or maybe they want to, you know, if, as cat has a minutes restriction, maybe you get cat to those minutes <laughs> restriction before there's five minutes left. Um, who knows? There's probably some gymnastics there, but like Anderson has to be on the floor. I don't think, I think anybody who's watched the wolves this year would say like Kyle Anderson has to be on the court when the game is being decided. I I'm just very curious how much, if at all they make, the ant at the one, Jaden at the two, Kyle at the three, Cat at the four, Rudy at the five lineup, part of their identity. Which, I, at that point, Kyle is going to often be the one. Yes. In, like, in a half-court set to one. And, and again, that would kind of be like clutch. We've seen Kyle, even when D'Lo was here, kind of be the clutch time point guard. So I've, I've remained curious and optimistic about what that five-man group could look like all season pre-trade, post-trade. Um, I don't know. But but they've they've gone away from a lot of the the point amp. But it, it's something that makes a little bit of sense to me. I think it's only put like thirteen minutes together all year. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and there just weren't a lot of opportunities, frankly. But like, I think we've heard how many times we heard Chris Finch kind of glow about Kyle Anderson, and he says the same things, and they're all like the best things you can say about somebody. But to me, like last night showed a ton in that Chris Finch frankly has often pulled guys like when they're close to reaching numbers sure. um it's always scoring numbers so that's a little bit different you don't want guys just going and jacking up shots and like kyle anderson just needed one more rebound but he frankly has pulled cat when he's trying to get to scoring numbers he's pulled ant when ant's trying to get to scoring numbers i think like 50 at yeah, some point and ant said like yeah i want it to come more naturally anyway uh, but like Finch just pulled guys when they're going for those things and then there's a rebound left for anderson to get a second triple double of the year and Finch left him out there. Like he put in other subs and put and like, left Kyle. Really in the left game. him out there. Like so obviously go get a Ted three ball. Yeah, yeah. And I don't Finch really even said that. that in his post-game comments, you know. But like I just think that kind of shows the respect he has for Anderson and maybe mm-hmm. like the admiration of like, yeah, you know what, you earned this. Mm-hmm. Go out and get it, you know. Uh, another thing at the beginning of that game, that maybe like first half that that really stood out is it was another game where it was Ant and Jaden leading the way offensively. Um, I think Jaden had like 17 in the first half, something Ant was at 20. At some point, I remember looking, and they were clearly the two leading scorers, like way up there, which is encouraging again. Though it got derailed in the same way it kind of always does. Jaden gets in foul trouble, takes him out of uh, in offensive rhythm. But broadly, just one of the, I don't know, caught the last two months, Jaden's offensive development has has been such a boon for this team. And and I thought it really set the tone uh, in the Atlanta game where Atlanta chose right at the beginning. Hey, we're going to put Trey Young on, on Jaden McDaniels. That's going to be the quote unquote hiding spot. And and the Wolves went that last about four minutes because Jaden had like 10 points in the first four minutes um, all on Trey pretty much. And uh, that's again, as we think about playoffs. That, that's what I was kind of thinking about as that was going down. Like in a playoff matchup, that's where a team might try to hide a Trey Youngish type de- defender on their team against the Wolves. And and Jaden has done a lot to make me believe that that is not a, a strategy you can kind of run for profit against this Wolves team. 
No, and I think we've seen that quite a few times now. Like, I remember those couple Dallas home games. Uh, Dallas tried to put, like, Kemba Walker on him. And every time that yeah. happened, Jaden McDaniels scored buckets, you know. And, and, and it's the other guys, too, are, like, target. It's, like, Jaden's willingness to go, right? But, like, Kyle was looking for, like, it was yeah, a team yep. effort to be, like, this is our matchup right here. And that's kind of, like, the next level of, it's not just individual belief. It's, like, group belief, right? Yeah, and, and frankly, like, you know, we always talk about when, like, Rudy has the mismatch and whatnot. It can be more difficult to get the ball into the interior um, in, in advantageous positions against matchups. Jane's just swinging it over to him. Like, that's an easy thing to do. Um, so it's easy to attack that again and again. Um, so, yeah, I, I have confidence in Jaden McDaniels and Minnesota's ability to, to take advantage of anything like that. Now, it's not like in the playoffs there are many Trey Youngs or Kemba Walkers out there. Like, they're usually not on playoff teams because they're yeah. not you know, being such a one-way player, like usually you're not on a good team's rotation, even in Trey Young's case, like there's a reason Atlanta might not be in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but like, it doesn't even have to be, I think that obvious. Um, I, I just think if Minnesota looks around and they're like, you know what, that's that team's worst defender. We are very confident. Jane McDaniels can score or create off that guy in a one-on-one situation. Let's go to it because they have a real fervent belief in McDaniels mm-hmm. and what he can do offensively when given the opportunity. Yeah. And, and I think to, I, I agree that these guys aren't Trey Young level defenders, but in the West, you know, you think about a John Morant if he's back, a Chris Paul, a Steph Curry. Yeah, Morant is definitely somebody on that list. Yeah, and like, and even if it's just for, even if it's just for like saving energy for offense reasons, like I could kind of put that with on Chris Paul. Um, like I think those teams would go into a first round matchup against the Wolves, like trying to find a high, even maybe like Jamal Murray a little bit too, uh, for for Denver and. Seems like a small thing, but but if that isn't like a pivot that your matchup can go to in a seven game series, even if it's to start or in the middle of the series, like if you can if you can take advantage of that, that that's like a that's a leg up in in the the chess game of that. Not saying they're gonna beat any of those teams necessarily in the playoffs, but that's one more chess move that they have. And yeah, it, it's it it tells a story, I think, about the greater offensive growth about about Jaden McDaniels this season and and just that he isn't there aren't really problems when you talk about you know non-shooters on the floor of Rudy and you know Kyle's such a rare shooter that like Jaden being an offensive weapon as a catch and shoot shooter and being able to do some stuff off the dribble I think has I don't know if it's unlocked things but it's made some of the problems that your personnel would have had been less egregious i think with this group this year so i'm i'm really big on that over these past few months for mcdaniels yeah i just like in general like if you're always like playing for ball movement in offense i mean you're trying to get the defense shifting you're trying to you know just move the ball around the horn kind of create some energy some flow with it but that only works if like guys are willing to take advantage of the situations then when they come like if the ball's swinging 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 and it gets to jane mcdaniels like you better either be able to knock down that open shot or on a hard closeout attack Right. And get to the rim, create, get to the foul line, whatever. Uh, otherwise, none of it works. Otherwise, you're like, well, even our good possessions don't generate anything good because we just pass it around and now there's five seconds left on the shot clock. Like McDaniels is, has become a guy where when the opportunity comes for him on the perimeter, whether it be a mismatch, whether it just be because the defense is rotating late out to him, like he will make them pay either via the shot um, or via, you know, attacking the closeouts. And like, that's huge. You need everybody who's playing on the perimeter to be able to do that. And even if Rudy's down low, we even see like in these lineups now, um, you know, when you have Mike Conley, Anthony Edwards, 
uh, Kyle Anderson, Jane McDaniels, like everybody is willing and capable of doing that. So when you do generate good offense, it generally leads to a good shot attempt. Uh, let's grab our first break here and then uh, kind of come back and talk about the offense as as a whole last night against Atlanta. Today's show is brought to you by Land and Lore. If you're a dude who is still washing your face using a bar of soap or nothing at all, this one is for you. It's time to stop living like a caveman and start taking care of yourself with Land and Lore, the only men's skincare brand that doesn't suck. Let's face it, if you don't look good, you don't feel good. And if you don't feel good, you're not going to do good. So start your day off like you care and use Land and Lore. Your partner will thank you. And we'll be proud of you for at least trying. Fans of the podcast have even more reason to start caring. Use promo code 20CAVEMAN at checkout on Amazon.com to get 20% off our face cleaner or moisturizer. And extra credit if you leave a review. That's 20CAVEMAN for 20% off Land and Lore at Amazon.com. These two products are proven to help you look your best. So upgrade your life with Land and Lore today. Your face and your partner will thank you for it. Today's show is brought to you by Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. Hyacinth is one of my favorite restaurants in the cities and a place that I think is easy and comfortable to go to if you're looking for kind of an elevated dining experience that is still comfortable. That's been my experience when I've gone to Hyacinth with my friends and with my family. Um, it's, it's also a restaurant that is using all Minnesota products year round, which I think makes it cool, um, whether it be for the menu items or the cocktails. They'll kind of have like a wintry vibe to them. And I think that can be fun this time of year if you're looking to go out, whether it's for a, a fancy dinner or just something more casual on a random weeknight. You can make reservations there. Those are those are ideal. But if you're going in the wintertime and you're going on a weeknight, also walk-ins are uh, more than normal there at Hyacinth. So if you haven't checked out Hyacinth, uh, I'd I challenge you to you know look at their website, check out their menu. They also have an Instagram page with a ton of their uh, menu items on there. Uh, again, you are going to go out to eat, and I would just recommend that you put Hyacinth at the top of your list if you're looking for a new place to check out in the city. So that's Hyacinth Restaurant in St. Paul. All right, we are back with uh, Jace Frederick from the Pioneer Press. Uh, Jace, one thing that uh, stood out to me in in the Atlanta game as as I was. Washington have kind of been tracking this over the, the course of the, the post Delo for Conley trade time now 11 games is the fact that the Wolves have had really good offensive games and really bad offensive games in, in this stretch. And and I was looking at, you know, the, the three opponents now, including Atlanta, who the Wolves have clearly had their best offensive games against some of their best offensive games of the season in terms of offensive rating have been against Dallas, have been against Sacramento and have been against uh, Atlanta, who are all bottom 10 defenses on on the season. And uh, obviously, it's in, in encouraging to take advantage of that. It makes you believe that this group, even without Cat, you know, can punish bad defenses. But then there's the other eight games where they've been below average offensively, and they've pretty much played middling to good defenses in the rest of those games. So I know this is pretty simple and distilled down, but it's like it feels like this team can beat bad defenses without cat, but to beat a good team, they absolutely need uh, a little bit more of that scoring punch, something else to go to, to kind of, you know, get away from some of the power outages they've had offensively in these, in these first 11 games, but against bad defenses, I don't know the wolves, the wolves seem more than fine uh, offensively since the, since the trade deadline. 
Yeah, I just think it's like who is capable of making things difficult for Ant? Um, who is yeah. capable, whether that be through scheme or matchups, like who is able to make his life difficult, make it harder for him to get to the rim uninhibited, um, and just like make the reads a little bit more difficult for him. Like if you can make the read difficult, if you can make, you know, if you can't just be like, all right, I'm just going to take it and get to the rim and score or create like, when you can kind of shut him down, you can shut the whole thing down. And I'm not saying that in that nobody else can score. I'm saying that in like he is kind of capable of shutting the offense down himself as well. Um, when he gets frustrated, when he gets stagnant, when he decides, OK, I'm just going to, you know, ISO ball into a three pointer here. Like everything kind of shuts down where like Atlanta had nothing for him last night. And then he gets flowing easy. He can get stuff for himself and others. And everything just looks really easy for Minnesota um, because they play good offense when it can kind of get going and, and go where he wants to go and do what he wants to do. So that's where I'm at. Like if you have the personnel or are just like, frankly, the schemes, which means usually you have people bought in to execute a scheme. Um, you can give Minnesota troubles right now because Ant is still adjusting to different looks again and whatnot um, and playing around different people. But when he can't, like Minnesota's going to roll because Ant's a great offensive player. And frankly, I think they have plenty of competent offensive people around him as well. Yeah, I, I thought the specific to Ant, I thought the Brooklyn game kind of stood out as that. Like, I almost think about it as simple as does the opponent have multiple players who can reasonably check Ant, right? in in a one-on-one or just kind of straight up guarding him situation, right? Like the Wolves are going to, as they did against Atlanta, like they're going to try and prod for a switch to not have DeAndre Hunter be on Ant, right? And then you find yourself like Bogdanovich on him or something, or maybe if it's even, you know, Trey Young, and then now Ant can go for profit. I thought against Brooklyn though, you know, they kind of got that stable of six, seven, six, eight guys who, whatever, like, go for switches. We don't really care. We'll, it'll go from Mikal Bridges to, to Dorian Finney-Smith, and and we feel good about guarding. And I think the Wolves feel bad about that in those situations. That seems to be what, like, it's not like Ant can't beat those guys. We we saw him beat those guys situationally plenty in the Brooklyn game, but it's like, at what rate does having multiple defenders slow Ant down enough so he's taking some of those quote-unquote bad shots? He, that... It's that having the multiple defenders who are executing a scheme seems to be what really taps into Ant's bad habits of poor shot selection, right? If if it's if it's those multiple defenders, and again, think about playoff series, that's that's another thing I'm gonna be, you know, looking at with whatever the matchup is there. Good rotations, good help. Like, no, not a defender he can blow by. Um, and then like in the Brooklyn game and whatnot, like I still think Ant's mind is always to the point of like, okay, I got the switch. Mm -hmm. So now it's go time. Even when it's like the switch didn't generate much for you. Uh, the matchup <laughs> is still not awesome. You're not going to blow by this guy either. Mm -hmm. The defense is still stacked against you. Um, because you guys ran like one simple pick and roll action where half the people didn't have to move. Uh, and, and everybody's kind of zeroed in on shutting you down here get off the ball yeah. or try something else, uh, get into another action. And like Conley's even talked about this after the Brooklyn game of like, you've got to do some guard to guard screens. You've got to make them switch, you know, six times within a possession. So sure. you get that communication breakdown. I think of that Clippers game in the play in and it was a lot of D'Lo and Ant doing this stuff. But do you remember with like five minutes left, uh, there was like a slip screen or something where they 
like the Clippers screwed up the switch and Ant had like a free runway uh, mm-hmm. for a dunk in the middle of the defense. Like it takes doing a couple different things, sure. um, actions within a possession to create that one miscommunication. And now you have an easy bucket. But what Ant was doing too much against Brooklyn was like, all right, screen and roll up top. Got a switch. It's like, OK, now you've got like Dorian Finney Smith. This is mm-hmm. not a great matchup for yeah. you. And then he's just sizing him up and trying to score on them. Mm-hmm. And it's like they're still loaded up against you. So you can't drive. Even if you drive in, there's help there. You're going to take a contested jumper. Nobody else is doing anything. It's really bad offense. Um, and so, like, that's what's going to be interesting about the Boston game is Boston can also do that. Yes. Um, so, like, it's a pretty big challenge, I think, for Ant and the coaching staff to, to get it into his head of, like, look, if you get switched, if you get a switch and now it goes from Marcus Smart to Jalen Brown, like, that's not that great for us. <laughs> um, you know, so, like, move, get off of it. Like, let's let's at least try to get this defense shifting and moving and, and maybe we can create a miscommunication that leads to a bucket. Don't just say, okay, now I've got Jason Tatum on me. I'm mm-hmm. going to score on this guy one-on-one because that's not going to be, it's not going to be a great situation for Minnesota if he's consistently doing that throughout the night. Might score sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes it's going to not get anybody else involved, not make anybody else feel like they're in a rhythm of the game. And you're only going to score 40% of those possessions too. If, if he's going to attack after he gets a screen, it's got to be fast, right? Like, attack as soon as that switch happens right. from Marcus Smart to Jalen Brown. Or last night against Atlanta, where they didn't have the second defender, there were there was a few times where it's like, there was that, I remember one specifically, it was like a guard-to-guard screen with J-Mac uh, and Ant, and there was like a half second where whoever was guarding J-Mac, I, I don't remember, like, switched on to Ant and then tried to, like, peel back so DeAndre Hunter was there. And they did that like Ant didn't go quick enough before DeAndre Hunter got back. And then that that drive on DeAndre Hunter is X amount of times harder than it is before. It's like it's the speed in with like, you know, there's a time and a place for the, you know, the yank, yank, yank isolation sort of thing. But as much as you can minimize that as possible and just go as soon for Ant, as soon as he gets any switch that that. That it just feels like it's gonna, you know, it's gonna up it like up the efficiency. And that's just a that's just a product of, you know, reading the game better and faster uh over time. One uh one other thing I randomly put in our our outline today, maybe just because I think this might be like last night might have been the last time that Luca Garza plays this season. <laughs> right. Like I, I sure. mean uh and, and I, I actually mean this kind of like in, in all seriousness, like We've seen some pretty good stuff from Luca Garza this year uh, offensively in, in terms of what he's been able to do. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on him being a piece with this team beyond this season. Is he the type of guy that seems worthwhile to give one of those Gupta special contracts to where it's, you know, maybe multiple years uh, at, at the minimum or something like that somewhat? somewhat non-guaranteed i think like on the surface we'd be like yeah he's been he's been good in the spots that's that he's gotten this team will need a third center if nas reed leaves uh but is that the archetype of third center do you you want if it's cat and rudy next year as your one and two centers your third center is going to be needed because those guys are going to get in foul trouble situationally um and i think it's question of do you want a more offensive or defensive minded third center on this team this year obviously it's been far more offensive minded with Nas taking that role this year but what are just your I guess quickish thoughts on on Luca Garza making sense here or not big picture for the Wolves 
I think I would go with like a Garza if Nasrid is gone because I've kind of gone into the headspace of like, look, if you're looking for somebody who wants to be a third center in the NBA and that guy is a quote unquote defensive minded center, mm-hmm. they're probably just not very good. Um, <laughs> like we see a lot of like, it's not like that defensive minded quote unquote center is going to slow down any good offensive center. Um, yeah. There's a reason if they could do that, they wouldn't be a third center on an NBA <laughs> team. Like, so many of these guys were like, oh, that's a defensive player. They're really big, really slow. If they get put in any action, like pick and roll, it's terrible. It leads to a bunch of really open yeah. stuff from the guard. Like, I will just, when it comes to like a third center, I will take somebody who can come be productive. And an yeah. offensive player, they might give up some easy buckets. They're going to make some of that back on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. It leads you much closer to a net zero than some of these defensive guys who probably, a lot of times it's not going great defensively and you know they're giving you nothing and probably clogging stuff up on the offensive end. So give me Luca Garza, who I have seen consistently now, at least consistently enough, can be a productive player because who else is that signing for that kind of yeah. deal um, and, and that kind of depth piece do you know can be productive? So that's why I don't worry too much about like the skill set. I'm like, take a productive player and the guy who you know can come in on a spot's notice, like mm-hmm. as is going to be the case and as Luca has shown um, and, and play relatively well. Of course, he's got downside. Anybody in that role is going to have downside. I like Lucas upside more than I'd like a lot of guys you're going to find in that position. I, I'm, I'm with that. Uh, I'll just make the devil's advocate argument, sure. um, which I, I look to Utah and what they did over those kind of like the second half of the eight years that Gobert was there, they really decided to focus on duplicating Rudy in those 15 minutes a game that he didn't play the, you know, the Hassan Whitesides. That's why they drafted Azubuki. Um, like, they decided that having that backup, again, this is like more second center than third center, but like right. they found a lot of value. In, and part of that was trying to play the same scheme the whole time, right? Rather than the the toggle we talk about all the time, which... Like they prefer to play Luca Garza up in coverage, just like they do Nas. Like Rudy's the only center they really rely on consistently uh, to play and drop coverage. I, I'm I'm with you in the idea that I don't think you're going to get more production for a minimum player than you would from Luca Garza, despite his his faults. But I do wonder if, in an alternate reality, you know, Rudy Gobert had a calf strain for 50 games this season. And we were looking and the the center group, the same thing happened, right? Except it's cat for Rudy. And now you just have exclusively offensive centers. Um, what does that do for this team? It certainly changed. I mean, if you lose Rudy at all, it changes your identity completely. But I would back be very. Yeah, yeah. Back back to last year's team. But with the flaw, like with maybe some other flaws uh, in there as well. And, you know, a season's. <laughs> season's probably lost one way or the other if you lose one of your best players for, for 50 games. But, you know, what if what if Rudy misses 12 games next year? I would expect that, you know. Um, are you cool with Cat and Luca Garza? Again, if Nas Reed leaves, or even if Nas Reed is there, right? Like, uh, just having 48 minutes of offensive centers. That, that's the only real case I can make uh, against Garza um, at, at this point. Though I, I would... I don't know. He struck me as somebody that the organization has been very into the whole season. And if they didn't have the roster crunch they do in terms of roster positions, I would have thought they would have given him uh, an NBA contract here to to close the season. Yeah, I agree. And like I said with, with you, like I totally understand the idea of like, well, let's get a defensive center. But I just stand by the notion of like, 
or the thought of if if this is a player who's going to be a third center, then they're actually probably not a good defensive center. Yeah. Like I don't you I don't that's know if fair. people I don't know do you classify Moses Brown as a defensive center because it would honestly who, be that he, yeah he maybe fits that mold and guess what he's getting cut everywhere he goes because he stinks <laughs> at basketball like that's just that's the truth like you would watch him be like you can't play this guy yeah. and they'd be like well he fits more of the defensive mold it's like, but he stinks mm-hmm. you know like and that and I think that's what like teams probably look at like Moses Brown and they're like let's let's you know he's he's got length he could be good defensively and then they play him and they're like no right nope uh, this guy gets exposed defensively and gives us nothing offensively. So it's tough. No, that actually Moses Brown is the the perfect uh, comp, which is the <laughs> perfect way to end our way too deep of a dive uh, portion of today's of today's episode. Let's grab uh, one more break and uh, wrap this up with Chase Frederick. Today's show is sponsored by Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and much more. Shade Rays is an independent sunglasses company that offers a world-class product that's just as good as any expensive pair we've worn, durable frames, and extremely clear optics for outdoor adventures. It's not all. Shady Rays offers the most insane protection in all of eyewear. Every pair of sunglasses is backed by lost and broken replacements. If you lose or break your pair, even on day one, they told us they will send you a brand new pair, no questions asked. Wear your Shady Rays with confidence because they have your back after you purchase. With Shady Rays, you can look good and feel good. To date, they have donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. If you don't love them, exchange for a new pair or return them for free within 30 days. There's no risk when you shop with Shady Rays. Their team always has your back. And exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out their best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com, use promo code DaneMore for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try for yourself the shades rated five stars by over 20,000 people. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, uh, back again with Jace Frederick for one final segment. Uh, Jace, overall, a uh, a really good game for for the Wolves and what they were what they were able to do. Uh, I thought there were 
three things that I noticed in the game that were slightly concerning and have been issues for this team for the entirety of the season. Uh, I saw bad transition defense um, in, in that game, as, as bad as it's been recently. Getting hurt on the offensive glass. I think Atlanta had 18 offensive rebounds. And then it was kind of, they kind of did the thing where they got a 20-point lead and extended it, but then it drops back to 13. Um, sort of that inability to just end an opponent. Those are the three things that that stood out to me from that game that have been season-long um, issues for this team. So, of, of I mean, pick your poison, transition defense, offensive rebounds, or inability to close games. Uh, which one of those stands out to you? I mean, the inability to close games one. I feel like maybe you're you're nitpicking a little bit there. Like it got the thirteen. I I, I know. <laughs> but, I actually <laughs> I actually like tweeted out like I was like, hey, they're actually like putting this team away because it went from like twenty at halftime to twenty seven yeah, yeah, or yeah. something when I tweeted it out, and then sure enough, like they cut it down to like fifteen, I know, and everyone's like, like, shut up, Dave. Yeah, <laughs> it went to twenty eight from twenty eight to thirteen. Yeah. I understand that, but I think that does kind of fall a little bit into like the eh, other teams are going to make a little push, um, but. Like, and then they put the starters back in and they closed the door. So if anything, like it was kind of the reserves didn't quite get the job done there, but you know, sure enough, what was it that, that totally ended all Atlanta momentum, but a Kyle Anderson you know, <laughs> take to the hoop and one, yeah. uh, but yeah, so I, I didn't look too much on that one, but I do think that's still a big issue. Like this mm-hmm. team closing games, no matter what, like even if last night isn't a prime example, I think we all think that still exists in a very big mm-hmm. way. Um, probably the offensive rebounding. Well, I'm frankly, I don't know. I'm with you on both. I think the transition defense and the offensive rebounding. I think the transition defense, the biggest thing is like when Cat comes back, if he does here, like that was terrible at the start of the season. Like it was, that's why they lost to, they got trounced by bad teams who just decided, well, let's just run. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure that that's going to look any different when Cat comes back. Um, mm-hmm. So that's going to be something to keep a close eye on. But the offensive rebounding, pretty consistent. It's what knocked them out last year. So it's pretty easy to point at that and be like, oh, that's that's a big one. Um, especially if, if you're going to hang your head on defense, you can't give up easy buckets in any way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, that's that's too simple of one to give away for a team that should probably try to win playoff games like 104 to 96. I was uh, looking up the transition defense numbers, and um, they're giving up about the same amount of points per possession in transition defense um, now in the injured cat time as they were when cat and Rudy were out there, which made me go initially like, oh, you know, that's interesting. And then I kind of thought about it. I'm like, points per possession allowed in transition defense isn't the most important factor here it's, it's frequency yeah, yeah and and the frequency with which opponents have gotten uh out in transition has dropped back uh a lot um since since the cat issue so um you know i i i think that will be an issue to some extent again if and when uh cat is back i i just i felt like they'd made some some real strides in that over the last 40, 50 games or whatever. And last night just kind of stood out to me in a way that I was like, okay, that's, it's not always 100% a there's two bigs on the floor thing. It, it's, it's just this team when they get sloppy and, and a little bit lazy, that's when teams get out and transition against them. And if, and when that happens, uh, it can, it can really be uh, a killer for this team. But I, I, I think offensive rebounding is the bigger issue as well. 
I, I would say like the transition thing, and this is just last night specifically. I don't even fault the Wolves for this, but when Atlanta plays the way Atlanta played, it it, it does give you a little bit of like a rec league vibe. Um, and <laughs> yeah, and Minnesota right. certainly played above that level. But when your opponent is constantly playing like with that level of effort and whatnot, and you're building a lead on them because they're doing that, I think it can be easy to just like it's hard to be locked in every single possession and and focus on the right things every single possession when the other team is like not focused on anything uh the entire game so like some of those i think are like okay uh you want you want it to be tight all the time but i give a little forgiveness in games like that like atlanta i don't know what atlanta was doing like they were possessions where the hawks would like miss a deep three uh and then whoever shot that three should clearly be running back with the guy who was guarding them but instead then like they're coming up to like press up on whoever got the rebound and then it's just creates an even simpler throw ahead for like a layup i have no i had no idea what the hawks were doing um and i if i was quinn snyder i'd be like why did i do this like this is really stupid um but i don't know we'll see what he makes of that team eventually if he can change anything about them but that team you see why like you look at the roster it's like pretty talented you watch it play it's like pretty bad mm-hmm. and that makes sense why they are now back again below 500 it, it did to do a little bit more on the offensive rebounding thing, like when teams do have, when they can go like 48 minutes with a really strong offensive rebounding big out there, that that should concern Wolves fans as Atlanta could last night, Capella to Okongwu. Um, I mean, the, the Wolves... Okongwu dominated. That. Oh, I mean... He was, the, he was the reason for the rally in the, or the fourth quarter. He dominated that stretch of the game. It was the Brandon Clark thing from the playoffs. Like right. that was that was the game that was most similar to like game six or whatever it was. Um, and, and that, that should be a concern with this team. Rudy, the Rudy Gobert edition has not absolved the Wolves at all from their terrible defensive rebounding issues. They are grabbing 71% of opponent misses this, this season. Last year, it was better. They grabbed 72% of opponent misses. And last year they were tied for the worst defensive rebounding team in the NBA. So that, that has to be on your mind. Again, thinking about playoff opponents as, as we go forward, you know, I, I've said for a few weeks now that I think Sacramento of those kind of teams would be probably the best matchup for the Wolves. Not saying I pick would pick the Wolves over the Kings, but I think that'd be the bat, best matchup. Though Sabonis as an offensive rebounder in that series would really would really concern me in the in the uh Brandon Clark type of mold. I think he would he would really hurt the Wolves um, with his ability to get on the offensive glass. So that's I guess that's another area you hope Cat helps in. Um, but it has been a season long issue for this team that they have been one of the worst defensive rebounding teams in the NBA. Yeah, and I don't know. It would take a different mindset from Cat um, because early in the season, like Cat just wasn't in the paint. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, like and I and I do think that's something that he you know talking about people talked things that he can probably see i think like having to be more of himself and do the things that he does well uh that factors in like you i think you'll probably watch like the well he's probably watched a lot of the wolves games and thought like okay i need to be more active in there the defensive class i see the way that we get beat up there like i i think it was just difficult for him to find a balance early in the season of like rudy's down there i shouldn't be down there mm-hmm. um, but i think he'll I have a feeling that that's one of those things where he's like, I need to help out on the glass when I get back. Mm-hmm. Um, Rudy, Rudy has been doing it by himself here for, you know, all these games. I need to come in and do that. That's one area where I do think he would provide a boost um, logically yeah. as you would think he would. Uh, 
last thing, Jace, I didn't really tell you we're going to do this, but I was kind of... Um, Here we go. <clears throat> I, I was looking at... I think a lot of Wolves fans will be watching or following Lakers-Pelicans tonight, as that's an important game in the standings. Wolves fans, the, the masochistic part of them, I think, <laughs> finds themselves watching a lot of Utah Jazz and LA Lakers games. I think there's extra reason to to watch the the Lakers now due to due to playoff reasons. So I just looked at D'Lo Bando and Beasley's um prize picks. What what their things are set at. I'm just gonna rip through this with you, okay? D'Lo 20 and a half points against the Pelicans, more or less than that. Uh more than he's been pretty aggressive offensively, um given their current lineup situation. Seven assists, two and a half or seven assists, two made free throws, two and a half turnovers. Any of those look good? Uh, over on the turnovers, um, seven sounds about right for the assists. Yeah, stay away maybe there. Yeah. I, I like I like more than two made free throws. Well, yeah, I just remember from all my memories of him playing is he'll easily get to the line that many times. Yeah, you you would you would think so there. Uh, Vando, seven and a half points, seven and a half rebounds. Uh, I guess I would say I like the, the rebounding one uh, more there. What, what about you? I do too. I don't like Vando over unders on anything because there are games <laughs> where he'll randomly play like 18 minutes. So it's tough to put anything on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Malik Beasley, 11 and a half points. That was the only one he had uh, on there was, was 11 and a half points for Beasley. Yeah, I guess I'll go over, but he's been ice cold again lately. It's been this. We saw this in Minnesota all the time, way up, way down. And right now he's in the middle of the shooting slump. Like they lost that next game because Beasley couldn't hit anything. And Troy Brown especially couldn't hit anything. <laughs> Beasley is just in one of those stretches. Like that's how we look at the overall number at the end of the year. And it's like, good. Um, but he's either going to win games for you or he's going to lose games for you. And right now he's losing them. It's like he lost them that game on Sunday that's or Saturday, whatever Saturday, it was. Yeah. Um, it was not good. Um, mm-hmm. And so right now, I think it's tough to predict him coming out of a shooting slump on any given night. So I guess I'll go under that one. Uh, all right. Well, if you are all, I, I think everybody's kind of maybe watching more of the, the NBA now, night to night with all these yeah. playoff seeding. I mean, every game matters. So yeah. like, it's, it's, it's just feels more interesting than it does in, in December. Exactly. It, it's worth tuning in if you're just a Wolves fan to some of these other games and to like get to see some of these teams that they might play in the play-in or a, or a playoff series. So if you hey, who, are... Who do you think... Go ahead. I think this is probably pretty logical, but um, Pelicans, Lakers, like, do you think, should Wolves fans automatically be rooting for the, the Pelicans tonight in your mind? Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I'd rather get the Pelicans um, in a play-in. I guess it would be the play-in is, is what it would be there. I mean, it's just... My, and it's who's more likely to contend with you probably for, like, eight. You know, seven yeah, or yeah. Eight. who's more who's more likely to bump you back to nine or to the nine ten game? Probably yeah. the rest of the way here versus versus who you're going to play against. Mm-hmm. Like, who's more likely to go on a run? I think to to maybe pass you in the standings to push you down. That yeah, that it, it. You're right. It's that, and I would I would say the Lakers, even with you know LeBron looming. But my my too specific to the play in setup is like, if I'm the Wolves, I do not want to get the Lakers or the Clippers in like the seven eight matchup in the play in. I just it I know they beat the Clippers last season, but it's a it's a different calculation with Paul George and Kawhi um in the mix there. And and what is the Wolves ability? Uh, the Wolves are a solid, good defensive team, multiple weapons, multiple like high level scoring weapons really scares me in this, outside of the fact that I just assume that, you know, LeBron and Kawhi are gonna be 
extra turned up, you know, to be able to, right. to, to play in that there. So again, just to finish the prize picks thing, if you guys do want to check that out um, and, and make some prize picks here, whether it be this Tuesday night or for Wolves games going forward, prizepicks.com, prize picks app, promo code Dane gets you a $100 signup bonus. Uh, Jason and I will, we'll keep tracking where the Wolves go and where the, the standings around them move. It changes. <laughs> it changes every day. But uh, Jace, I'll see you next uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, for for Wolves Celtics at at Target Center. Which that would be a hell of a win. <laughs> I would be. It, it's it's crazy because the Celtics are not playing well. They just lost to Houston, and like they play everybody, and they yeah. lost to Houston last night in Houston. Which to me thinks like they're more likely to lock in um, against Minnesota. Right. But at the same time, like they, I just don't think they have it right now. It, it's kind of like a. It's odd because Boston is still very much playing for things. Like mm-hmm. they are just they are now at a in like a tussle with Philly for the, for the two seed. Um, they've locked themselves into that position. Uh, we're like Denver is playing for nothing. They've secured the one. I totally forgive their slope. Uh, and you know, may, and they have time to figure it out. Uh, but Boston, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Um, like last night they had their guys and outside of Robert Williams and they just lost to Houston. So that'll be interesting to see if we get a fired up Celtics or if we get a team that just kind of continues this little downturn of play here. It's kind of like the Wolves with the when they get a twenty point lead. Like the this Celtics team for like a, what at least when I've tuned into them, like they have had a propensity to take their foot off the gas. And you know <clears throat> some of that. Yeah, people have is... called it like prevent offense. I've seen with the Celtics <laughs> in, in games. Like right. oh here they go, they're going to the hold the ball offense with seven minutes to go. But they have been doing it for like a month now. They've had they've been problematic for a month now. So it is you know we always kind of do the thing, and you look at the. You look at the standing, you know, who are the Wolves playing? You you look at where they are in the standing so as to kind of grade what the level of the opponent is. I think this year, as much as any, it's really struck me that, like, teams are doing this up and down sort of thing. And it's a lot of it has to do with when you catch a team. That's why right. we talk all the time about the Wolves having lost to bad teams. They've lost to middling teams a lot that have been playing well in the week ahead of, of playing the Wolves. and. I just think in the NBA right now, you like you got to look at what a team has been recently. That seems to be, you know, so much more telling. And to that end, this is a good time uh, to catch Boston. Though I'm kind of with you too. They just lost to Houston. That I'm sure practice today or whatever. It's like we got to tighten the screws, and we're gonna have a hungry team against Minnesota on Wednesday too. To you know, to be able to play us like we got to play our game so as to not be able to. They want they they want that too, and you don't you don't. You don't, you don't want to go up against Philly with, you know, with, with, uh, and, and, frankly, and at, like, not at home. Like if there's a three, exactly. then that, then no, that, that yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You're going to get, you're going to get Philly either way. Uh, but you want home court advantage in that series. Um, and frankly, like I'm much, I, th- I think I'd rather have the two than the three for the first round matchup. Though that could be Miami. But, um, anyway, I think if you're them, you, you like kind of learned like about just, that last like year too. Not like you just went into a, you know, Intense seven game Eastern Conference final series that came down to the last shot against Miami last year. <laughs> okay, that's uh, a good point. Jace is only a bigger Jimmy Butler stand than he is a George, Jordan McLaughlin <laughs> ties. I actually, how would you rank those? Jimmy Jimmy's Butler having a tremendous season, by the way. <laughs> no, I don't know is. if everybody's noticing that. He's been like phenomenal this yes, season. Yes. And and so is, and Tyus has been awesome recently too. Stepping Tyus? up in the, he just does that. This is kind of a part-time Tyus Jones podcast. Um, I mean, even like last year's playoffs, we like cut back in to do a yeah. podcast when they were playing the Warriors and Tyus yeah, was playing and playing well. Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, that's going to be really interesting. They won three in a row now with Tyus and like, you know, not to dive too deep into the John Morant stuff, but just like some of the reportings out there, Mike Marcus Spears is like, I think he might not, John Morant might not come back this mm-hmm. year. Like Tyus Jones then is going to, that is it already a worthwhile investment for what Memphis put into him this offseason to keep him um, because they can still like, I don't know, they won't be the scariest two or three seeds certainly because literally like their best player isn't on the team, but like they're still a very good team with Tyus Jones at the helm and wouldn't be surprised if they still, you know, win a first round match with the people just assume they'll I, lose. I, I'm with that completely. Like I, I obviously Memphis is worse without John Morant and Brandon Clark, like for sure. For yes, sure. the Brandon Clark thing is huge, but <laughs> so, like that's that's depth that they need as well. I think people are like really putting a fork in Memphis and, and, and if there's no jaw, like you put a fork in them in terms of being a contender hopes. Yeah. 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 But first round series, like even without jaw and even without Clark, like Memphis is the best defense in the league this year. Like, and, and that's been with plenty of players in and out and taking jaw out is the biggest guy you can target. Great point. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, I don't know that, that Memphis team is very well coached. They, I hate when Wolves players tell us like "next man up" mentality when when someone's down. But I, I don't remember a team in recent history that actually executes a "next man up" like mentality better than Memphis has for multiple seasons now. It was the same thing last year when John missed twenty two games or whatever it was, and they went twenty and two or or something like that. So I, I, I still think I'm with all the. It's like Denver. And every other team in the West, you got holes to poke in it. And everybody seems really eager to poke the Memphis one because it's the it's that top end talent. But there you can do the same thing with Phoenix. We can we can go down the line, Sacramento and their defense. Like all these teams in the Wests are imperfect, very imperfect. And what should make for a really fun playoffs in that, like, I think a lot of the first, second round series could go a lot of different ways, even with the Wolves. Um, but it's, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting a fork in, in Memphis for, for this season, uh, at all, but, uh, all right. Tyus Tyus is probably better than he's been in any other year as well. Like offensively, he is a much better player. He gets, gets better and better every year. He, he, yes. He's just, he's the classic add a small thing every year. I mean, he's such a different player than he was in, in Minnesota. Like it looks like the same, like discount Chris Paul or whatever, but he <laughs> he is just he he continue he's in his prime. I mean Tyus is in his prime now. When we had Tyus in Minnesota, he was a skinny 20 year old, 21 year old, you know. Um he he's he's a starting caliber point guard, right? Like I, I don't know if we made oh, a yeah. list of Oh he's like, easily in the top 30 NBA point guards. Like <laughs> well, I know I don't know pushback for the <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean no, that's no. what I'm saying though. Like, I I think it's higher than that. like I don't yeah. I don't think it's top. I don't think you're like yeah he's probably in the top thirty. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it's pretty easy to say he's yeah. higher than that. You have to at least get up to like twenty five, twenty two for mm-hmm. me to be like yeah. okay, let's start making a list. Like I don't have to even think about top thirty. Right, right. No, yeah, he's and he's shown it again for for two seasons. But anyways, uh, we'll uh we'll keep tracking things. Uh, Chase, appreciate you doing it. I will be back, I believe, on Thursday uh, at some point with Britt to talk about that Boston game and we'll, we'll keep going. I'm heading to Chicago for the, the game uh, on Friday against the bulls. And uh, we'll, we'll see at some point, I think Carl has come back. And uh, if and when that does happen, uh, we'll talk about it. He's uh, Jace Frederick. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Jace Frederick. Read him at the pioneer press. I'm Dane at Dane Moore NBA until Thursday with Brit. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah
dancing like nobody else around